It's my privilege to introduce my good friend, Laura Gamble, to you tonight as our speaker. I first met Laura in 1982 when we were both students at Stanford University. I had just returned from an overseas study abroad program in France, and she was a new freshman on campus. We were involved in the same campus fellowship group, and we had great years of growth and discipleship at Stanford. In the years following college, God took our paths in very different directions for many years. Our time to connect was rare, usually at family camp in McCall, where they would come back for visits from Costa Rica. And then five years ago, God brought our lives back together in a special way as friends. We have walked through some wonderful and some difficult seasons together, and I'm very thankful for the faithful, encouraging friend that she is to me. She has been a tangible manifestation of God's love and presence in my life. But more than that, I'm thankful for the person she is and the person she encourages me to be. Laura loves Jesus, and she puts a high priority on relationships, loving the people that God has put in her life well. She is an adventurous, fun woman. One of the many things Laura loves is boating and water skiing. Laura's mom, who I had the privilege to know, water skied until she was 75. And Laura hopes to surpass her mother and still be water skiing when she's 77. I certainly hope to be there when she does, if I can still get in the boat. But her adventurous spirit is not just because of her personality. It is because she chooses to live life one day at a time as an adventure with Jesus living intentionally, and seeking to align her life and heart with what God wants for her in the big things and the small things. When I first visited Laura in Costa Rica, I was eager to experience her world there. And because of that, I wanted to understand Spanish. I had learned French, not Spanish, and um, even though that helped me a little bit, not a lot. And I was constantly asking her to translate billboards and signs and things around town so I could learn. I was going through a hard season, and she encouraged me with one of her favorite Costa Rica bumper stickers. And if you want to know how to say it in Spanish, you'll have to ask her. But in English, it says, don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is. And Laura lives with a heart that trusts in a big God. She trusts in his character and in his word. And regardless of the decision or the issue I'm facing, she encourages me to think biblically and truthfully about myself and about life in a world where there's plenty of brokenness and plenty of lies we can believe. I don't think I can take any credit for Laura and her family returning to Boise. That is God's doing. But I did say yes to Ellie when she asked if she could live with me and go to Coal Valley in ninth grade for one semester. And that turned into a full year. And it was an amazing, wonderful year of being Ellie's second mom. Anne Voskamp, the writer of 1,000 Gifts, which I'm sure many of you have read, has a great quote that I think reflects Laura's heart. She writes, Gratitude isn't only a celebration when good things happen. Gratitude is a declaration that God is good no matter what happens. Laura lives that. She believes that. And she's a great example to me of what it looks like to have a confident trust in God's plans 
and to have a deep conviction of his goodness, regardless of the circumstances or how it feels. When I struggle with fears and worries, which definitely happens, she helps me get my eyes off my circumstances and on to God. She enlarges my perspective and my vision of who God is. And I know she will do that for all of us tonight. Please welcome Laura as she comes to speak to us. Good evening. Thanks, Lori. Thank you so much for coming tonight. When I look around the room, I see so many people that I recognize and that I've known for many of you since 1989 when we first moved to Boise. My husband and I moved here from 1989 specifically to attend the study center here. And there are people over here who invited me to their house for chili, and there's crazy youth workers back there. And I have some of my former students who I taught from 1992 to 1999 that are here. And then there are many of you. There's a group of women here who prayed for me regularly for 14 years. And many of you have been my friends over the years. You have prayed for us, and you have even given to us financially as we've lived in Costa Rica for four years, and we're 14 years. So I just want to thank you to all of you for the memories, for the friendship, for the prayers and for the financial support. It's just been amazing. Just over two years ago, I was living in Costa Rica with our family. We had been in Costa Rica for 13 years. And while we had been through some hard seasons in life, particularly 2008 through 2010 were a really hard season. From 2010 to 2012, things just seemed to be going really well. My husband was very happy teaching in an international school. It was the second school that we had worked at down there. He was teaching students from dozens of countries. Every day, students from dozens of countries would walk into his classroom. Literally, the mission field was coming into his classroom, and he was just thriving. My three children were doing well. Jesse, my oldest, was a sophomore in college at Trinity University in Texas, and he was doing well. And Luke, my second son, and Ellie were in 11th and 9th grade. They were doing well in school and in their sports, and I thought, ha, this is great. We're through the struggle. Things are going great. And then in a very short period of time, plans changed. By July of 2013, our family was living in Boise. I can tell you openly and honestly that I have struggled with this change of plans, even though I do believe these changes were from God. The last year and a half has been a difficult time for me, and I have experienced significant pain, loss, and confusion. I will share, wow, this is coming early. (laughs) I will share more about these things later on in the talk. But I want to say that I am right now in the midst of learning the very things that I am sharing with you. I do not have it all figured out, but I do know the God who does. So please pray with me as we begin tonight. Lord, I just want to thank you for this evening. I want to thank you for all these women taking time out of their schedule to be here. And I just ask you to speak through me. And I thank you for speaking to me over these last two months as I've been praying and pondering what you wanted me to share And I thank you for the lessons that you have taught me and are continuing to teach me. I just ask you that you would, I know that you're here with us, and I ask that you would speak through me to these women, and I thank you for drawing me close to you and teaching me. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So who am I? This is me as a three-year-old. I was born into a family with six parents. What I mean by that is when I was born, my parents had been married for 20 years, And they already had a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and an 8-year-old. And along came Laura. My mother was very open about the fact that there was plenty of people to take care of me, 
to play tennis with me, to teach me how to water ski. When she got tired, my 15-year-old sister would take me for a walk, and they actually thought she was my mom. I guess it was a really happy time. I don't remember it that much, but unfortunately, four years later, when I was four and my parents had been married 24 years, uh, my father made a poor decision and decided to leave the family for another woman. To his credit, we stayed married to the second woman for 46 years. So he was married to my mother for 24 years and then to my stepmother for 46 years. But you know, divorce impacts people and it impacts people very differently. I've learned that over the last several years to see how my older brothers and sisters have responded and with all the memories they had of an intact family as opposed to me who simply felt abandoned with no father. When I was seven, my mother made the decision to remarry. She was very lonely because in her mind, my father had been her best friend for 24, 26 years. And she married a man named Ed. And I'm just not going to talk about Ed very much tonight because I don't have anything good to say. Um, it was a, I grew up in an unhealthy and abusive situation. It was a very dysfunctional family. And it took me a while for these things to hit me. But what happened is God used this abandoned, my father abandoning me and the very unhealthy situation of my stepfather to create this longing in me that I didn't even know existed until, praise God for the Young Life Ministry, at age 17, a Young Life worker reached out to me, started coming to my basketball games, to my tennis games. Before I knew it, I was going to campaigners and going to Young Life Bible studies. Had accepted the Lord, even though I didn't even really understand what that meant, but I was slowly catching it. And even though I had never been to a Young Life camp, that's usually a requirement, they somehow found a way for me to go work at a Young Life camp. So summer after my senior year in high school, June of 1981, I went to Silvercliff in Colorado, and I worked at a Young Life camp. And that month changed my life. I came back. I had, I had learned that I needed to start the process of forgiving my father. Now, it had been 15 years, but I realized when all my friends were calling their dad on Father's Day, and I was like, why would I do that? I realized God was like, okay, I've forgiven you, and it's time to start this process. And it's a process. You know, sometimes we tell people to forgive, but it's a process. It can take a long time. Um, I learned this last year, finally, that I had I'd made it, you know, and that will come later. Um, but, you know, life is hard. But if we know Jesus Christ, then we have a heavenly father who will never abandon us. He's always there with us, and he values us more than we can imagine when I came back from camp, I went to my high school band director's house. I used to babysit for him. And he said, what happened to you? you? You look like you're in love. Do you have a boyfriend? And I said, well, you're half right. And I truly had fallen in love with Jesus. And I can't say that I have never failed, but I, once I understood that there was a God who was not going to abandon me and who loved me more than I would ever be loved, I have clung to him ever since, thinking, wow. When we come to know Jesus, everything changes. It is a slow process. We are a work in process. But we stop living for ourselves and we start living for him. And yeah, we fail and we do it. But overall, life is no longer about me. As a Christian, life is now all about God. 1 Corinthians 6, God tells us that we are no longer our own, but we are bought with a price. We now belong to him. And it's not about me. It's all about him. As a new creation in Christ, it is no longer about my plans or my time or my money. Now as Christians, it's all about God's plans and God's time and God's resources. 
And God gives us this wonderful privilege of being a part of his plans, his incredible plans. And he trusts us to be stewards of his time and his resources. But it is vitally important to remember that all of these things are his. His plans, his time, his resources. Now there's four topics or themes that I'm going to refer to a lot tonight when it comes to God's plans and God's time. And that is priorities, intentionality, flexibility, and when it comes to time, I'm going to use the concept of margin. So in all of, if, if all of this belongs to God, what is our role? Do we have a role to play in the making of plans? Absolutely. We have an important role to play. Proverbs 16.9 says, I put three different translations up here because I really like how they work together. Proverbs 16.9 says, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. That's the New International Version. The ESV says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And the New American Standard, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Scripture clearly tells us that we are to be involved in the making of plans. We are to make plans, but God is going to determine the outcome. We're to use our mind and our heart. We use our mind to think about our priorities, and we intentionally think about where God would like me to be. What would he like me to do? How does he want to use me? How does he want me to use the time and talents that he's entrusted to me? And then we think about what he has put on our heart. You see, it's our heart and our mind working together. We think intentionally with our mind, and then we also listen to God as he speaks to our heart. What do you have passion for? What are you excited about? Ask God for him to put his desires in your heart. Think with your mind and listen with your heart. So as we intentionally think about our priorities and we ask God to put his desires on our heart, we make plans. But then guess what? We need to hold our plans loosely. We make the plan, we think, okay, I'm headed over there, but we hold the plan loosely. We need to be flexible because these are not our plans. God is the one directing our steps. My husband and I frequently refer that our job is like, we get the boat, and when the boat's in the harbor, it's nice and safe. Okay, it's tied up, nothing's gonna hit it, there's, there's protection so the waves can't get to the boat. But there's no growth. The boat's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. You get the boat out of the harbor and you, you, you make a plan and you say, okay, I'm going to head over there. When I was a young girl living in Michigan, we had a little sailboat. And I used to love to sit, take the sailboat out. And my goal was always to get to the state park because they sold ice cream there. <laughs> but it was a little sailboat. And my mom would sit there and watch how I was doing. And sometimes you get out there and there's no wind. And you literally have to be using, you know, have to be paddling to get across the lake. Other times you get out there, it's just like Rod said this last Sunday at church, you get out there and the waves are just going crazy and the, the water wants to get in the boat and sink the boat. Sometimes you want to get over there, but the wind's blowing this way, so you have to go that way and tack back. And there's all sorts of course correction. See, we get in the boat and we make a plan and then God tweaks the plan or he maybe radically changes them. Sometimes the boat would tip over and my mom would be looking, oh yeah, there's Laura. Okay, I hope she can write it, you know. We make plans with our heart and mind. It is good to make plans, but we must hold them loosely if we really want God's plans to prevail. And what is God's biggest plan for us? What does he really want for us? First, he wants us to know him intimately. And second, he wants us to become more and more like him in character. John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, we make plans with our heart and our minds. We get in the boat and we start moving in the direction. But as the winds change, God redefines. He tweaks. Sometimes there's massive course correction. As these changes happen, we can fight God. Or we can get to know him better. And we can allow him to work on our character so that we become more like him. You see, God is much more interested in our character than he is in our convenience. And he's much more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. So we've talked a little bit about God's plans. What about God's time? Again, it is no longer my time. It's now God's time. I don't own the time that God gives to me. It is a gift from him. Today is the day that the Lord has made. It is his day. Let me rejoice in today and be available to use today as he directs me. Again, what are the principles of God's time? Very similar to God's plans. Priorities, intentionality, flexibility, and the concept of margin. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this book. It's an old book, but it's called Margin. I'm sure you can still find it. It's got great ideas in here. Margin in many different ways of life. But Now, I want to I say something here. God does not want the same thing for all of us in terms of our time. What I do with God's time is going to look differently than what you all do with God's time because we are different people with different passions. We have different gifts and talents, and we are in different stages of life. People are in different stages of life, and God creates us all to use his time in creative and unique ways, but we're different. For example, I love living overseas. It just lights my fire, the challenge of it all, learning new languages, meeting new people, learning how different cultures view God, learning how different cultures view lots of things. For me, it just is, wow. And some of you, you just love living in Boise, and you're like, I think this is where God wants me. And that's great. That's important to know. Some of you have young children at home. Some of us don't. My youngest child is now 17, and I'm lucky if I get to see her. She lives a very busy life. How we use our time is going to look different. And it's really important because I see us commenting on how other people use their time, like, oh, they're just wasting their time, or what do you mean they don't have time for that? You know what? We need to be really gentle with each other. And we just need to be looking at ourselves. Am I using my time the way God wants? Or am I using God's time the way God wants me to use it for me? You know, when you have young children at home, you are very busy in a different way than when your children are older. It's not that the kids have less needs, but it just looks different. Or when you're empty nest or different stages. Lord, how do you want me to be using your time today? And it's important to realize we can't do everything. And we don't have passion for everything. And we're not called to do everything. The need does not constitute the call. What does God want you to do? When I was interning here, Carolyn Roper always said, you know, every time you say yes to something, you need to say no to something else. You can't just keep filling up your schedule more and more. It's okay and it's good to say no. Jim Elliott once said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt in every situation that you believe to be the will of God. There is tremendous flexibility from person to person in how we use the time that is given to us. But there's one thing that God wants all of us to do. This is from Mark chapter 1, 
Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, "Everyone is looking for you." Jesus replied, "Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come." So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. If you go to this church or even if you don't, I encourage you to go to colcommunity.org and listen to Jackson's sermon on January 25th on this passage. It's incredible, okay? It's called Priorities of Service, and it's really worth listening to. I've listened to it several times just to remind myself. Jesus prioritized time alone with the Father. He needed time alone with the Father, and so do we. We cannot afford not to do this. We must prioritize it. Second, we need to be intentional about scheduling dates with Jesus. You're like, whoa, what does that mean? Well, we schedule dates with people we want to spend time with. If I want to see Lori, I say, can we do lunch on Tuesday? Okay, some of you are thinking, I have three little kids at home. How can I have a date with Jesus? Okay, God is flexible. For you, it may mean from 9.15 to 9.18, you're going to put a blanket over your head, and your kids know when mom's under the blanket, she's off limits for three minutes. You may have to do that. I mean, there are different stages of life. It used to be really hard for me, especially when I was working and had three little kids thinking, whoa. For me, I would go after work, I would go to a coffee shop and I would journal. Because if I was writing something, I got out of the distraction. I would journal and I have lots and lots of journals. And I look back at them now and I'm like, wow. I don't do that anymore. Now I love to go hiking in the hills. I love to go up off of 8th Street and I just walk and I talk and I ask God to put his desires for me on my heart. It's going to look different. There's flexibility how we spend time with Jesus, but we need to do it. Whatever your situation is, find a way, whether it's three minutes here or four minutes there or long hikes in the hills. Okay, so we've talked about prioritize this time, be intentional about scheduling dates. There's tremendous flexibility about how to do this, when to do it. Some of you might want to have time with Jesus in your favorite rocking chair. I can't do time with Jesus in my house anymore. I get so busy and cleaning and paying bills. There's all these distractions. I need to get outside. And, but there's lots of ways. But you need to find time with Jesus. And lastly, I want to talk about margin. Margin to find time with Jesus. If something in your life should take one hour, give yourself an hour and a half. You see, if you show up early, great. You can spend 20 minutes reading something. Carry your Bible with you. You can spend just some quiet time asking God to talk to you. It's okay. I can tell you, having lived in Costa Rica for 14 years and come back here, the pace of life that all you live is unbelievable. Like, I am always catching up. Like, you know, and so it's okay, folks. You know, schedule a little bit less. It's okay. Show up someplace early. One time, Luke and I showed up to an airport early, and he's like, what a waste of time. And I was like, oh, this is great. He's like, why? I'm like, we just have 20 minutes to sit and chat together. We don't have, we're not late. We don't have to worry. I was like, huh. <laughs> now, I want to talk about one more thing in regards to flexibility and margin, and I don't have a slide for this. But in Mark chapter 5, there's an incredible story about Jesus And there's this synagogue leader leader named Jairus. And Jairus' daughter is sick. Right now, my son is sick. And, you know, when we have children that are sick, we don't like it. And we want help. And Jairus wants Jesus to come heal his daughter. So he sends some leaders. And he says, please tell the master to come to my house. Jesus gets the 911 call. He says, I'm on my way. 
And he takes off to headed to Jairus' house. And on his way to Jairus' house, the people are crowding around him. And everybody's crowding around him. And this woman who's been suffering for 12 years with the bleeding disease, she reaches out to him and touches him. It's her last hope. In all faith, she reaches out that he might heal her. And he touches him and he stops. And he says, who just touched me? And the disciples laugh at him. They're like, Jesus, look at him. You're like, people are smashing into you. What do you mean, who just touched you? He's like, no, somebody just touched me. I felt the power leave me. And the woman, it says, at the moment knew that she had been healed. She felt in her body that she had been healed. And he, Jesus pretty much insists, okay, whoever touched me, come up here. And she's scared and trembling. And she comes up and says, it was me. You were my last hope. I've struggled with this for 12 years. And he very gently and kindly says, tell me your story. <laughs> and she starts, starts to talk. Okay, and it says, and he listens to her entire story. Now, women, we can talk. Okay, you know, you get some of us talking about childbirth. Or, oh, I was walking down the hall and then this. We can go on and on about talking. Okay, I, this woman told her whole story to Jesus. And I am sure it didn't just, oh, quick, quick. And, and Jairus' servants are like, Jesus, we're on the way to Jairus' house. And Jesus patiently took time to listen to this woman tell her whole story. And then he said, woman, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Okay, now he's Jesus, and, you know, he had left margin. He chose to be interrupted. But I want us to be aware that sometimes interruptions are directly from God. And if we live with margin and we have time to meet people's needs at the right time, I'm not saying every interruption is from God. Sometimes we need to be intentional and say, okay, I'm going to do this today, and these are my priorities. But we need to be open to the fact that there are divine interventions, that God wants us there. To, to meet people's needs and to listen to their story. God's plans are much bigger and better than the disciples or Jairus realized. You see, Jairus wanted Jesus to heal his daughter. Jesus eventually got to Jairus' house and, and raised her from the dead. Jairus was hoping for a doctor, but instead he encountered a savior. The same thing happens in another story. Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, and Lazarus was ill. And Jesus showed up and they scolded him. Master, if you had gotten here sooner, our brother wouldn't have died. And again, he raised Lazarus from the dead. The Jews were always wanting Jesus to throw the Romans out, to, to get this occupying army out of Palestine. And Jesus didn't worry about that too much. He had come to do something much bigger. He had come to save the world. God is always shooting for so much more than what we are. God's plans... God's time. Now, how has this worked out in my life? Well, shortly after becoming a Christian, I went off to Stanford. And I was fortunate that God had all these Christians waiting for me there. It was incredible. But I got plugged right into InterVarsity. I got plugged into Peninsula Bible Church, which is where Dave Roper used to be a pastor. Um, I, got, I met Lori and my husband, Doug, within six months of being there. And Brian Morgan at the time, who many of you, he's come up here several times. Um, he's a good friend of many people here. He's spoken at family camp. He was the college leader at a youth group. And I grew like crazy. My time at Stanford, you know, everybody thinks, oh, there's no Christians at Stanford. There's lots of Christians at Stanford. And God just grew me up. And um, by the end of my junior year, I started dating Doug. And by the end of my senior year, Doug was like already working and thinking, you know, it's time. <laughs> and I freaked out. I was like, whoa, it's not time. Don't you remember my dad left me and I had a bad stepfather? 
Ooh. So I ran off to Spain. I jumped in the boat and took off to Spain. Doug was like, I don't like this plan. And I was like, well, I do. <laughs> and I walked in Spain and I wrestled with God and came back to Spain. Came back. I learned in Spain my deep love for learning languages and living in other countries. This is pre-internet. Doug is very faithfully writing me these letters. I miss you. I went to baseball practice today. Made macaroni and cheese. Three weeks later, I'm reading about old macaroni and cheese. Like, great. <laughs> it was good. He was so faithful. My friends in Spain thought I was crazy to be wandering around Spain, but I was in a wrestling match with God. And I finally said, okay, Doug, I'm open to getting married, but I want to live overseas. And it wasn't really like, this is it, but it was really, I felt like, wow. This is important to me. And Doug's like, great, I'm in. Where do you want to go? I was like, ooh, that was too easy. <laughs> anyway, came back from Spain. Doug and I got engaged and immediately started applying to go overseas. I, had, I was like hot on how good my Spanish was, so I thought. had no idea. Um, four months isn't, isn't much when learning a language. Um, we tried to apply to jobs in Latin America. We had almost a job in Guatemala. We were this close. And... Instead, God redirected the ship to Japan. We applied through an organization, Tentmakers International, which helps Christians find jobs overseas. And that was the only job God provided. And we thought, oh, that's kind of scary. You speak French and I speak Japanese. I mean, you speak French and I speak Spanish. (laughs) Um, But we decided not to have fear get in the way. So we went. We went to Japan for two years. Hopefully, I'm going to be contrasting my plans, God's plans. The first one was we were going to Guatemala, and God sent us to Japan. When we were in Japan, we thought, this is great, but you know what? We both would love to study the word more. Let's, let's after our two-year commitment and stuff, let's go to seminary somewhere. So we call up Brian Morgan. Hey, we're thinking of going to Dallas or Regent or Fuller Seminary. What do you think? He's like, no, don't go to those places. Go to Boise, Idaho. Whoa, there's a seminary in Boise? Yeah, it's, it's an intern program. It's kind of like the one at Peninsula Bible Church, but it's much better. So we faithfully write Brian, um, Dennis Dixon and Brian Fisher and like, what's going on? And they're sending us this incredibly organized thing. And so we moved from Japan to Boise, Idaho in 1989 to attend this church, to attend the study center run here. And it was one of the best decisions we've ever made. We had the privilege of being mentored by David and Carolyn Roper and Dennis Dixon, and just they were foundational years for us to learn and grow. Again, our plan was to be here for three years and get overseas, hopefully south this time. And yet God kept us here for 10, and they were 10 incredible years. Um, I have some of my former students over here. They graduated in the 90s, and it's just so fun. I drive around town, and I see them, and we're peers now, we're peers now and it's just amazing, but... We taught on June 9th. I'll just tell you a quick June 9th story. So my husband was applying to teach school at different schools. He applied to the public schools. He applied to what was then Valley Christian School. They had not yet merged. And on their own, the school says, look, Doug, we don't need you full time. We need you in the morning and we need your wife in the afternoon. What do you guys think about that? Well, I was out to here, pregnant with Jesse. And we're like, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, we need an English teacher in the morning and we need someone who can teach Spanish and math in the afternoon. Anyway... Long story, they came up with the plan. We met them June 9th, 1992, signed our first contract. Doug would go to school in the morning, come home, we'd switch, here's Jesse, and I'd go to school in the afternoon. It was incredible. We did that for seven years. Every Friday night, we had a group of kids over to our house for Bible study. It was rich, rich time. We had come for three years. God kept us here 10. 
But we, rep- we remembered our vision and we remembered our passion. And the plan had been to eventually be trained to go overseas. So in 1998, I said, Doug, I really think we need to go. If we don't go, oh, I didn't finish the June 9th story, sorry. We went and signed the contract. And then I had a doctor's appointment that afternoon with Dr. Poole, who's delivered half the church. <laughs> and he goes, um, you're due to t- today. I'm leaving town tomorrow. We can either wait and see what happens or I can break your water. I'm like, heck, we signed a contract today. Let's have a baby. So it was a big day and it was a great day and it changed our life. 19, during those, uh, during those 10 years, I was able to take kids two times down to Mexico. <coughs> Lisa, you went with us, I think, in 1992. Whoa. <laughs> we went to Mexico in 1992. It was awesome. Then we went back in 1996. Dave Bohan will say, this was the most magical mission trip ever. You know, some mission trips, everything goes right. That's like when you're trying to ring people in to get them excited about missions. And some mission trips, everything goes wrong. But I mean, Dave came out and said, wow, this was incredible. I'm like, yeah, this is not normal. Like, everything worked. He's since been back on about eight or nine mission trips. And, but we came back from 96, and I said, Doug, the next time I take kids to Mexico, I want to stay. <laughs> he was like, okay, um, good. Let's start making plans. It took, took God a few years to organize it all. We met with Brian Grant, and he goes, I really think if you want to go to Latin America, you need to go to language school, because Doug's French isn't going to do much good down there. (laughs) So guess what? We made a plan, and the plan was to go to Costa Rica for one year. We were going to do language school, and then we had our sights set farther south to go to Chile or to go across to Europe and be in Spain. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Costa Rica and hopefully answer these four questions. Where is Costa Rica? How long were we there? What did we do while we were there? And what did God teach me while we were there? So here's a little map. North America is just above it. There's the United States, and then you can see Mexico. Mexico cruises down into Guatemala, Nicaragua, or no, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, and then there's Costa Rica with the red. Just below Costa Rica is Panama, which leads into Colombia and all of South America. I'm sure none of you have said this to me, but there have been many people talking about coming to Costa Rica, and they ask me how life on an island is. That is Puerto Rico, okay? (laughs) Puerto Rico is an island, and Costa Rica is in Central America between Panama and Nicaragua. Okay, so how long were we there? Well, this is fun. 14 years we were there. We thought we were going to be there a year. We were 14 years. What does 14 years look like? This is the church directory photo from 1998. (laughs) If you haven't taken your pictures yet, get out to the hall and take your pictures. Jesse is six, Luke is three, and Ellie's six months old. And 14 years later, this is our family last summer. This is Jesse and Luke. Luke is on the left. Luke is always on the left. He's left-handed, and he's lefty Luke. They fought for 14 years about who was going to be taller. And Luke won. (laughs) This is not in Michigan, but in Costa Rica. This is Ellie, my three-year-old, learning to play tennis in Costa Rica, learning to play tennis in Spanish. One time we were in Lake Tahoe visiting my in-laws, and we're out playing tennis. Quince cero, treinta, cuarenta. And my kids are like, how do you play tennis in English? (laughs) I had to teach them deuce, and it was fun. And then, 14 years later, ready to go to homecoming, 
in her homecoming dress with her high top converse on, doing one of her favorite hobbies of all time, unicycling with her father. We, we, I homeschooled Ellie for three years in Costa Rica, and so I had to come up with a PE plan. And I was like, great, we're going to learn to yet unicycle. Three days later, I was like, oh my gosh, I still have a whole year of plans to make. I didn't think it would take her three days, but she's a master on the unicycle. We went to Costa Rica to learn Spanish. And Ellie's first word was Cano. Doug and I and Ellie went up to see the, the Arena Volcano. And I was like, Volcano, Volcano. And she goes, Cano. It was very cute. We also taught in two international schools. This is Luke and Ellie dressed up in the local attire, ready to go dance it up. They were quite good. While we were at this school, we were at this school for eight years. We had the school covered. Ellie started there as a four-year-old and stayed there through fourth grade. Jesse was there from second grade to ninth grade. Luke was there from first grade to seventh grade. I taught in the middle school section down there, and Doug taught in the high school. We had the school covered. It was really a really rich time. We'd get in the car together, go to school every day, go off to our different sections, and be little lights for Jesus. There was only 200 kids in the school, and we were a family of five, so we were pretty prevalent. And the director did not like us to have Bible studies at school or even at our home. She didn't want us to invite kids to our house to have Bible studies. We're like, fine, Jesse and Luke, invite your friends to our house. (laughs) So Jesse and Luke would run around and invite all their friends. Hey, we're having Bible study at our house Friday night. Can we pick you up? And they're like, sure. And so for a couple years in a row, we had a middle school boys Bible study. And we had to buy a van. And because it was just, it was just what has to happen in that country. Not as many people have cars and you can't drive until you're 18. And so we would pile in the van and go around and pick all the kids up, get home. And I would have food. If you want to reach middle school or high school boys, you feed them. Okay. Pizza and popcorn. And they would show up and we would have a great time. Bible studies at our home Friday night. It was really a family ministry. Then God took us across town to the cross town rival that was only popular with some people. This is when the Crosstown Rival won the Central American Championship in Volleyball. You can see Luke in the back, he's number 10, and Jesse's right in front of him. And uh, we were at that school for five years, super involved in kids' sports. They all played basketball, volleyball, soccer, tennis. Ellie was national champion in both tennis and gymnastics, and um, baseball. In this photo, Doug taught almost all of those students, and there are students from over 10 countries in this photo. It's just incredible. We were also involved in a variety of service projects. Here's Doug with a group of students from our first school, and they're building a home with Habitat for Humanity. And Young Life came back. Young Life was huge in my becoming a Christian, and this is a Young Life service project. They're trying to build a, a basketball, a slab of cement for a basketball court in a poor community. There's Luke Hart at work. And this is, this is the whole group of Young Life International in Costa Rica. Young Life has a big presence. And most of those students were from the school we worked at from, as I said, 10, 12 different countries. And every spring break, they'll go off and do a service project. And Jesse and Luke were really involved in Young Life to the point that there were not a lot of men leaders. And so they were able to be leaders of the middle school portion of, they call it wildlife. It was just a great opportunity for them. These are some of the children, local children, that were going to get to enjoy the new basketball hoop. This is just one of my all-time favorite photos of Luke with one of the little girls. And in addition to all of that, one of the big blessings besides meeting the Matamoros and getting to know them was the fact that my mother came to live with us for three and a half, four years. In 2005, my stepfather passed away, 
And I hadn't been able to see my mom for many, many years because my stepfather really didn't want me to come home. And she called me and said, I just want you to know that Ed died today. And I said, well, can we come visit you? And she was like, yeah, that'd be great. And we were able to go visit her that summer in 2005, and she was still doing pretty well. But a year later, she was starting to have troubles living on her own, and they were trying to find live-in help, and that could be hard. And one of my sisters says, well, Laura, you're half Latin now, and the Latins, they live all generations together. Why don't, why don't we just send mom down to you? <laughs> and I was like, okay, we'll pray about that. And we prayed about it, and we said, we can do that for two months. Let's, let's try it. Let's tell her it's a vacation. And we said, yeah, have her, have her come on vacation for two months. And so she did. And when the two months were up and I was going to put her on a plane back to Colorado, she goes, why do I have to leave? And I thought, I'm not sure. Why do you have to leave? And I said, well, your other brothers and sisters, your other kids want to see you. My brothers and sisters want to see you. She goes, well, can I come back? And so she went home to Colorado for a few weeks and we prayed about it and we said, yeah, you can come back. And, and we would always set a time frame that we knew we could commit to. We said, this was March. I said, you can come back till Christmas, and then we'll reevaluate. And then, okay, you can come back for another year, and then we'll reevaluate. And eventually she was there for almost four years. And it was incredible for me, having grown up with the situation of not getting to see my mother. And my mother and I had knocked heads many times growing up. And to see her transform from being a pretty wounded, bitter woman to this incredibly, she grew old very gracefully. She learned to say please, and she learned to say thank you. And it was not always easy. I know my kids sometimes probably resented having grandma living there. Because you know what? Old people, and I'm gonna be there soon, they just move slow. <laughs> and I would always wanna take my mother to Ellie's tennis matches, which meant we have to leave a lot earlier than you think. Because just to get grandma into the car, and to get her her walker, and why not? But she just loved living with our family. And she would go watch Ellie practice gymnastics and watch tennis matches and watch all sorts of games. And there's one lesson I want to share real quickly about my mother. We were having a big, intense basketball game between the school we worked at for eight years against the school that we now were playing with. And there was this big you know, controversy. And I don't even remember if we won or lost. But we left, and we were all just like so into the game. And my mom just innocently said, so who won? <laughs> she goes, I just love watching you kids run around. You know? <laughs> she really understood the purpose of life. We get so wrapped up with who won. And she was just there enjoying her grandkids. What are some of the things that I learned during our time in Costa Rica? A lot more about plans and time and priorities, and intentionality, and flexibility, and margin. You see, everything in Costa Rica takes a long time. It is not an efficient country. I have spent two days standing in line to get my driver's license renewed. I'm not joking. I've done that twice, okay? If I want to register my car, you have to go to the bank, and you have to pay what's called a marchamo. And everybody in the country has to do this, but everyone has to do it during the month of December. Okay, so forget December, you're gonna spend three hours minimum in line. So you just, you have to learn to accept this and you have to learn to live with margin or otherwise it will drive you crazy. I learned about margin in Costa Rica, but it applies here also. It applies here in this fast paced, super productive culture. There's a phrase in Costa Rica that says, si Dios quiere. Does anyone know what that says, what that means? Yeah. 
Good, very good. If God wills, if God wants, Lord willing, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. And they make plans and then they say, si Dios quiere. They have a cultural recognition that things come up that are completely out of their control. I'm going to start talking fast now, guys, because I've got a lot of territory to cover and I don't want to cut it. So hang on. So what happens that out of their control, earthquakes happen, volcanoes erupt, floods that cause major sinkholes. One time my boys were scheduled to go to El Salvador to play in a basketball tournament and the whole tournament got canceled. Why? Because there were these massive holes in the intersections and they had turned the one and only gym into a, um, like a rescue place where people who had been displaced from their home were sleeping. You know, there's no way you can be angry about not getting to play a basketball game when there's these people who have they've lost their home and they're in the one and only gym. Things are so efficient here. If the Capitol gym was flooded, we'd move the tournament to Cuna or Centennial or Meridian or Eagle. We just have so many amazing opportunities, but they understand that things go wrong. Time is all God's time, whether we're here, whether we're on a mission trip, whether we're there. I have one story. Ellie and I were flying back from Costa Rica in June of 2010, and we flew on our least favorite but most used airline called Spirit Airline because they're really cheap. You can fly to Florida for $69 from Costa Rica, and then you take Southwest or something. And we're flying into Costa Rica, we're flying into Fort Lauderdale, and there's all these mission groups, you know, Cold Community Church to Honduras, and you're all wearing bright yellow so you can't lose each other. And then there's Faith Bible Church mission trip to Honduras, and they're wearing green. And we land in Fort Lauderdale, and I'm like, whoa, all these planes are landing. Some from Ecuador, some from Honduras, some from Costa Rica. There's a lot of people in this line. I've been, and I just said, Ellie, we're going to miss our connection. It's okay. Watch what's going to happen here. Some of it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> you know, I hate to say it, but some of these missionaries who I'm sure went overseas and they really, they, get, they took time off of work, they went and they gave of themselves and they were fully engaged, wanting to serve the Lord. They got back to this country and it was like, click, now it's my time. And I expect, you know, efficiency and everything to work. And they just let TSA people have it, and they let immigration people have it, and they let customs people have it, and they miss their flight, just like me. Now, sometimes I'm one of those people. But that day, God was gracious, and he allowed me just to watch. Wow, we're going to miss our flight. There's nothing we can do. Chill, relax. God will work it out. We got here. This was a little later. Okay, 2012. Why are we back here in Costa Rica? What was the big change that I've been fighting in 2012, Doug and I went to a mission, uh, Go Ye Fellowship. It was a mission organization we went with to Costa Rica. And they had a convocation in Southern Cal. And we were down there, and Luke and Ellie said, You know, Mom, we've been to a lot of these. We'd rather just stay at Lori's and swim. Is that okay? She has a swimming pool. And I said, Sure. So Luke and Ellie were at Lori's enjoying the week off. And Mel Molman sends me an email and says, Hey, we're looking for a new Bible department chairman at Cole Valley. Are you or Doug interested? I said, Doug, what do you think? He's like, No. Okay. I said, you know, we always ask the kids what they think. What do you think? Should we ask the kids? Okay. Luke, what do you think? No way. I'm going to be a junior. I want to stay in Costa Rica. Ellie, what do you think? Yeah, Dad, apply. That'd be so cool. Well, we had already signed our contract in Costa Rica. Doug's a man of his word. He said, Ellie, I can't apply for a job that I know I can't take. I need to go back to Costa Rica for a year. But, I mean, maybe you could come. Well, we thought she's not going to do that. Next thing I know, Lori's on the phone. So, um... Ellie wants to know if she can maybe live with me for a semester so she can go to Cole Valley. Okay. Are you okay with that, Lori? Yeah, for a semester. <laughs> Next thing. Hi, Lori. This is Lori. Um, 
Ellie wants to go visit Coal Valley. And Brett Mullman says, you can show her around. Is that okay? Sure. Well, so they go over and Brett's like showing her around. Hey, you want to go to the basketball open gym? Next thing, she's playing basketball and meeting friends. Lori's on the phone. Um, Laura, she has the application and she wants to fill it out. Sure, let her fill it out. Are you really okay having her live with you for a semester? Yeah, 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 that's great. Okay, here we are. Ellie moves back to Boise, and she's going to live with Lori for one semester. You know, she wanted an overseas adventure. And for her, Boise is overseas. (laughs) She was born here, but she has spent 13 years in Central America. So this was like, wow, everything's new and different. And after a semester here, I'm like, hey, Ellie, how you doing? You excited to go back to Costa Rica? Uh, not really. I'm like, oh, crud. <laughs> this is not what we wanted to have happen. She goes, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if I could maybe finish the year. Hey, Lori, <laughs> um, would you mind having Ellie for another semester? And she's like, okay, I'll do one more semester, but then you have to come back or else Ellie has to go to Costa Rica. <laughs> anyway, we realized Ellie wanted to be here and it was a good place for her. And so we made the very hard decision to move back to Costa Rica. We were very happy in Costa Rica. And yet in July of 2013, the family moved to Boise. When we moved here, we did not know where Luke was going to do his senior year. We thought we were coming back for Ellie. And being in Boise has been great for Ellie. She has good friends. Thank you, Emma. She has freedoms and opportunities here that she never would have had in Costa Rica. She got to drive when she was 15. My boys didn't get their license until they were 18. They're like, Mom, you're going soft. She's had tremendous opportunities. She's headed to Kenya next month for a missions trip. I'm excited for her. But you see, God's plans are always so much bigger and better than any plans that we came up with, than we come up with. He had many more reasons to bring us to Boise than I realized. You see, I was frustrated in being here. It was a difficult transition for me, even though I do believe it was what God wanted. And it was good for Ellie. Over time, God began revealing his bigger plan. What are some of the other reasons that God brought us here? Well, my son Luke is a very high-level tennis player, and I had no idea when, by coming to the States and putting him in some of these national tournaments, he got to play even the U.S. Open, the coaches were like, who is this kid? And it was like, wow. And all of a sudden, Louisville and TCU and Princeton and Boise State were calling him. And praise God, he ended up at the right place. He's at Princeton now. And just yesterday, I mean, he has amazing coaches. And just yesterday, I know none of you watched this, but it was March Madness of tennis. They had the selection show. I call it May Madness. And for the first time in 18 years, the Princeton team was selected to go to the NCAA championships. That's exciting. That's great. But guess what? Plans change. My son is in bed right now with mono. Okay? He just wrote me today. He says, Mom, they're not going to let me pick up a racket till Sunday. Coach says, I'm not playing singles in the NCAA championships. They hope I'm healthy enough to play doubles. Okay? He's having to do it. He's had an amazing year. It's been great. This is not a big deal. But sure, it's disappointing. Okay? And I'm like, son, obey the doctor. And don't go back to practice Sunday if you're not well. But still, changes happen. One month after Luke signed with Princeton, my father passed away. Long story, I've run out of time. But it was an incredible time for my siblings and I to be together and to have some reconciliation. Because when my mother moved back in 2010, I didn't want her to move back to the States. And they kind of ganged up and the four of them decided time for mom to move back to the States. And I didn't like it. It was hard. There were some hard feelings between my brothers and sisters and I. There were still some hard feelings towards my father. I realized I had completely forgiven my father. Praise God. 
But when my father passed away, some of my siblings didn't even want to go to the funeral. And God used me to say, guys, this is our dad. We need to be there and we need to be there together. And they're like, why? He ruined our family. I'm like, we need to support Veda. And we went and Doug was able to do the ceremony at my father's funeral. And it was a beautiful opportunity for family reconciliation and for forgiveness. Six months later, my mother passed away. It was a hard first year, guys. <laughs> it was like I was on a bike ride on the green belt. It was raining. I was supposed to have dinner with Lori. I got back, and I had a message from my sister. She said, call as soon as you can, as late as you need to. And I started to cry. I knew my mother had passed away. Again, it was a really hard time, but my sister and I together worked together to find a day when all five of us could be together for my mother's memorial service again. Doug performed the ceremony at my mother's memorial service. I have three last little slides here. This was my mother just a week before she passed away. Ellie and I got to see her and take her out with a milkshake. She just loved chocolate milkshakes. She was doing great on this day. A week later, she was gone. These are my four brothers and sisters, and we were all able to be together at my mother's memorial service. It was really a beautiful time of reconciliation. And this is some extended family who are able to be at my mother's funeral. You see... Ellie was the beautiful instrument that God used to get us back to Boise. Without Ellie, we wouldn't have been here. And yet God had so much more in mind. As we saw in Proverbs 16:9, we make plans with our heart and our minds, but God determines the outcome of those plans. So what about the future? You all ask me that weekly. <laughs> what about the future? Well, our plans are to be here in Boise until Ellie graduates from Coal Valley and heads off to college. And beyond that, we are waiting on God. I do not know the future, and neither do any of you. But we do know the one who holds the future, and he is good all the time. May he help us to trust him with his plans and his time. Thank you very much.